it's not being afraid, you know, and not overthinking. That's that's the big thing. I just went for it. Um, I I enjoyed cutting wood. I enjoyed putting wood together. I enjoyed, you know, you don't care about where the money comes from. You just kind of believe it will come. I don't know. It's it's. Um, I, I see people always asking, you know, how did you get into this, and when do you think you'll go to the next level? I mean, you don't even know what levels exist. Um, every day, I'm I'm standing back now, you know, after. But I started this company in 2015, working under my own name. And looking back now, I could never, ever imagine looking back that this would be where I'm now. Never. You, it's, I don't have that kind of vision. I just, my thing is I do what I like to do. That's it. That's, that's, that's what that is like. It's that question, what would you do for the rest of your life for free? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. So as you know, Alfie and myself are both in digital product design, or at least that's kind of where we've been for the last few years. And personally, I've always been very interested in any physical product design. I guess it's because I'm always busy with things that are non-tangible, that I just have a little bit of appreciation or sentimentality when it comes to physical products. And especially when it's crafted with a lot of attention to detail, it's not mass produced. So we, we also recently ran a little bit of a poll with you guys on all the social platforms to hear, you know, what are more or less the industries that you want to hear, hear from. And this was actually after the fact of inviting our guests today on the show. But it was interesting to see that a lot of other people also uh, voted for physical product designers. And I'm quite excited about this episode because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. And we are going to be talking to a furniture designer, but he's also a business owner. And his name is Lo Roots. Now, he is South African and he stays in South Africa, which makes the story even a little bit more special. But I'm going to pause it there and just say, welcome on the show, Lo. It's, it's really nice to have you here, finally. <laughs> So let's just jump straight into it. Can you give us a, firstly, tell us what is your day job and a little bit of a backstory of how you got into it? Um, so, yeah, every day is uh, really, it's different. Um, I have lists and lists of to do, lists to do. But um, yeah, just sometimes like this morning, I wrote down, my work that I had to do, like technical drawings, modeling, and so forth. And then before I know it, I'm actually posting, <laughs> recruiting someone, or <laughs> I'm actually checking up on some something at the factory. So, uh, But generally, I would say there's a bit of admin involved. Um, I'm in the process, actually, in the business of, as I call it, buying myself out of the business by employing people to take mm-hmm. a certain... Um, Responsibility, so I want to focus more, get back to design and manufacture um, or prototyping. Because at the right when I started, it was only me, you know, designing, manufacturing, yeah. accounting, washing the toilets, 
cleaning toilets, <laughs> everything, um, everything. And um, I'm at the point where I'm more managing, running the business, the strategy, where you want to enter the market, those kind of things. And um, I don't actually manufacture my own furniture anymore because I've trained up a team of artisans. But uh, your hands start itching. I mean, I don't, I don't get. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not even about money. I mean, it's nice when you're making good business and everything, but it's it's really the the thrill of making and designing and yeah. sketching. And, you know, that's that's really what it's about. Um, how I got into it, um, <laughs> I've told this story so many times, but it's um, so my grandfather he he really. Um, appreciated wood and uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of my first memory of being exposed to wood in that sense you know instead of just it being a tree you know it's it's being shaped and formed into something functional and um and then at what age I did was a bit this of, ah young young so my father ah, my grandfather was more like a father figure to me um okay so i grew up a lot with him mm-hmm. you know Holidays, I would go and stay on, on, on the farm in the Cedarburg for three, four weeks on hand. And then it would be my grandfather and myself and my grandmother and, you know, the rest of the farm. But it's also yeah. when he, see, he was actually, he served in the police. But he, <laughs> so there's, yeah, it's a funny story, but there's the police and the, what are they called? I don't know the English. Spoorweg police is what they call it. It's the, there was a police specifically Train for the railroads. police? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so there were guys dedicated to the railway police, and then mm-hmm. you know, just normal police as we know. But they joined together, and then when they joined, they threw out like oak. I mean, in those days, uh, furniture was made from oak. Yeah, proper, proper solid oak. Oh, yeah, and they, they would, they were just throwing government, you know, government issued oak tables. <laughs> That's insane. Wow. You think about it now. Anyway, so they were throwing out these cabinets and chairs and tables and stuff, and my grandfather sure. just collected, you know. And uh, I remember my mom and the children and my grandmother. They told my grandfather, "Why are you bring this trash home?" You know, because they thought it's just like. You know, police police issued furniture, but if you look back at it now, it was like it's proper. You know, it's really yeah. prop, properly made furniture. It's probably, probably still standing, right, and probably still in good condition even today. All, all of the children still have their dining tables and the cabinets and the chairs, and they are ever they're always showing it off. You know, you got this from my grandfather, but they never tell the story about telling him to go throw it away. Anyway, <laughs> so. so, so so then um, I just years uh, rolled past and um, I, I went overseas and then I came back. I went to England and I came back after like three years and I wanted mm-hmm. to buy myself a bed. And it was like, this was 2006. It was like this cheap pine bed, 3,000 rand. Back then I was like 2,000 <laughs> rand. Lot pines. Yeah, for cheap. <laughs> For a cheap bed, there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm paying this. So I literally just went to a timber yard, bought myself 3,000 rand of wood, and I just literally sat down, designed a bed, and built this massive thing um, in like a bachelor flat, 
we were still staying on Adelaide mm-hmm. Street in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And I literally destroyed my landlord's <laughs> dining table because I used it as my... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used as my uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was clamping and gluing, and <laughs> I don't know what I was mm-hmm. thinking. But anyway, and then uh, we had this small, and they call it, a, I think, a Juliet balcony. It's like probably mm-hmm. two meters long and and five hundred mils deep. And I was sanding this all the planks on the side of the building there, you know, enjoying it. And then I realized. I find this came actually quite naturally to me. And then slowly, you know, it's, you know, in the board, ugh, you pick up pellets, you break it up, you make something. And uh, What was your day job at the at this point in time? Like it was so, obviously <laughs> not yet in the furniture space. No, no, no. So I actually did two things. I actually um, went to auctions and I bought secondhand cars that were like, you know, just on auction. And uh, yeah. so you can, there are levels of cars that you could buy. They're damaged beyond repair or you can buy them half, half crashed or whatever and then you repair them. But I always mm-hmm. went for the easy ones. And I had a small um, catering company um, where I literally sold muffins and drawers and sandwiches. Yeah. Like It's like a cafe on wheels. And I literally walked uh, down Voortrekker Road from... All the way from Belleville, all the way down to Goodwood, just selling, <laughs> selling these sandwiches and stuff to, you know, just to shops. Yeah. And uh, that, but that was more the business side of it, and then I, or the entrepreneur side of, of myself, and then I trained people to do that on my behalf. But people, yeah, you know, we know the workforce in South Africa is not always diligent in showing up. So, mm-hmm. um, the cars. And I brought in some some money, and then I le- later on I left the catering, and I just you know went head over heels into making furniture. I mean, it was mm. just blind. I just went blind into it. I mean, I didn't care where the money's coming from. You just you just can't go for it. You don't know where you're mm. falling. And I bought a, yeah. a jigsaw. Yeah. I bought a jigsaw and a, and a router, and then I just started making stuff and uh, back in those days the way <laughs> the way I got my clients I went onto Gumtree and then I typed in because yeah. uh, uh, there's a section wanted and you go and wanted and I type in furniture and then people are asking for stuff and then I would just email them say well I can make this I can make anything <laughs> and then so I definitely, just started yeah that's crazy you definitely always been like a entrepreneur business mind it seems yeah. You actually hearing your story now, um, it's actually so beautiful hearing like you had this, um, you know, you had your granddad teach you this beautiful craft, but kind of never stepped into it immediately from there, mm. kind of did some other things. And then somehow you came back to Transition, it and yeah. fell mm. in love with it. Yeah. 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 yeah that's kind of exactly what happened. Um, was and then there's a point, there's a point in, sorry, there's a point in time what happened mm-hmm. was um, I realized I was looking at my furniture and I was looking at other furniture. It's like there's a massive difference in design okay. and quality and all these kind of things. And um, then I somehow arrived, oh yeah, I think my wife introduced me to the idea of industrial design because she heard it when she, while she was studying. And then I actually emailed um 
it's named Holden Martin. So he's a very famous uh, South African uh, furniture designer and also uh, studied industrial design. But I wasn't aware of this. So I literally sent him this massive long message on Facebook and singing his praises and how I love his furniture. And um, I asked him, you know, I want to study furniture design. How can I get into it? And uh, he literally just replied, said, cool, CPT, industrial design. And then I, <laughs> and I, I, was actually, I was actually then, I was in Taiwan as an English teacher, my wife and I. Wow. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot. Sorry, I had, I had a woodwork business, but it just went down the drain. Like it was 2008. <laughs> it was just, and we kind of fled oh, wow. to Taiwan because we had like a mass, like a lot of debt. And when we became sure. teachers there, I enrolled at um, CPUT, and that was in 2012. Mm. Yeah, I was I turned mm. 30 then, and um, yeah, and then I just went to go study industrial design, and that op- that really opened up the door to design mm. for me and understanding. Mm. It's like I always say, you can you can have talent and everything, but if you do a design course, it really there are just things you can't find in textbooks or not textbooks. And um, yeah. just, you, you can't find it out for yourself. It's extremely difficult now, you know, with stuff mm. like Udemy and, and YouTube, yeah. it's so much easier. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, yeah, that's kind of how we got into it. A little bit more democratized now than it was. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And people yeah. share, I mean, people, the- furniture designers have channels where they share all their secrets. So mm. it wasn't like that then. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's that's the advantage of the, you know, that technology kind of brings to the table. But something that's kind of interesting to me, you know, the way you sort of describe your story, I think, you know, especially because you lived it, you you kind of skip over a couple of things. I think the fact that you sort of started a business in lieu of sort of needing to leave to Taiwan and kind of figure yourself out there and then eventually come back. And the fact that you were even there to begin with and then, you know, starting these these kind of entrepreneurial ventures that were the type of thing that anybody can can start up if they're serious about the work you know yeah yeah, yeah. you mentioned very briefly about the the <laughs> somewhat different work ethic of south africans but then when you speak about your story you kind of talk about really starting with what you had around you starting with the things that you knew how to do but then even taking that further to, to, to something that, that was introduced by, by your family. A question I have is like, when, when, at, at, what, at what point did it, did it become clear to you that this was going to be the thing that you focused on and, and was going to kind of take you to the next stage in your life? Because I think from what it sounds like, you had a reasonably challenging um, sort of early start to your career. Yeah, it's... Uh... I never thought that this will be the thing. Um, and this is the thing where, and I, mm. I understand what I can, I can gauge what you're saying and how this relates to what people want to hear sometimes. But uh, to be honest, um, ignorance is bliss. It's just, I went into it, not thinking further <laughs> than next week. I just went for what I enjoyed doing. It's literally, mm. um, it's not being afraid, you know, and not overthinking. That's, that's the big thing. I just went for it. Um, I, yeah. I enjoyed cutting wood. I enjoyed putting wood together. I enjoyed, you know, you don't care about where the money comes from. You just kind yeah. of believe it will come. I don't know. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I, I see people always asking, you know, 
how did you get into this and when do you think you'll go to the next level? I mean, you don't even know what levels exist. Um, mm. Every day, I'm, I'm standing back now, you know, after when I started this company in 2015, working under my own name and looking back now, I could never, ever imagine looking back that this would be where I'm now. Never. You, yeah. it's, I, I don't have that kind of vision. I just, mm. my thing is, I do what I like to do. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what that is like. It's that question, what would you do for the rest of your life for free? Yeah. No, that's, that's such a good point. And what you're describing actually just made me realize something. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, <laughs> hesitating at the edge of starting to do something that I'm, I'm really interested in. And I'd never actually thought about the, the sort of additional factor of having done something that you're not passionate about. Because if you start out with what you want to do, in a sense, you don't have to give up the cushy job. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like, it's all you've ever known. Um, yeah. And, and so there's, there's as, as you sort of mentioned, there's like a, a, a sort of, you know, blind ignorance that kind of enables you to do something that that maybe a person who understood the the, the, the size of what they're trying to do yeah. would essentially get scared. Um, and yeah. so I think it's an interesting concept and, and, and important to highlight just because I think for many people, it's that fear of taking the first step holds them back for so long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely say it's like that saying um, inspiration comes after if you've started. Uh, and that's the thing with making is as soon as you make, mm. you see and then you see some more, and then you do yeah. this, and that breaks. Okay, well, mm. that's wrong. Let's do this. Like, there's a point where you get so um, dedicated what you do. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but I suppose it would be with many people. Um, ideas just start flowing. You just get into a state, because if this is what you're doing, and you're gunning for it, um, that yeah. you just, there's a difference between you know, being in it for a week, being in for a month, then being in for six months. You can't possibly go into something for two months and not learn one thing or not be inspired by another idea. Yeah. And that's the thing. Don't, it's, that's why I believe Nike has the best payoff line of all time. It's just, just do it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> it's so simple. It's, it's literally, that's it. Just, just do it. You'll yeah. figure it out. You, you, I always believe you'll figure it out as you go. As you go, mm. yeah. It's I've that typical never... saying of the, you know, the, the, the first step is always the, the hardest one to take. And it makes me think about uh, both sides where if you're, if you're a beginner, you have that ignorance, which is very helpful because when you don't have a lot of knowledge, you can also not foresee the necessarily the consequences of your risks, whether that's good or yeah. bad consequences, which helps you to take that first step. But then on the opposite end, if you look at experts, you are even more scared to take the risk because now you have your, um, your experience dictating your expectations and the first step can mm -hmm. be difficult. 
But when you're a beginner, the first step can also be difficult because you feel a sense of imposter syndrome. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm not trained in this. I haven't done this before. I, I'm not experienced. So for, for both um, for both levels of experience, so to say, both personas, the first step is still the hardest step. So it's kind of just getting over that. And then, like you say, mm-hmm. the work itself, the process itself starts to inspire you if you if you just take that trustful um, leap. Yeah. Yes. It's um, what I find is if if you want to be a pioneer what in whatever mm-hmm. thing that might be, if you shoot high. It's very difficult to ask for advice from people around you. Like my family is police, all of it, you know, except maybe one or two. I mean, how can I go ask a police officer you know, for business advice? Or do you think I'll make it? My grandfather, the one that kind of got me into it, he actually asked me, you know, after. Yeah. <laughs> so ironic. After I've been into it like, I think two, three years, he asked me, Lo, when are you going to get a real job? I'm like, do you have any idea how, how hard I work? <laughs> it's like, oh my word. Yeah. So you, that's the thing is people always project their fears onto you because they think oh, yeah. they can't make no. it. You can't make it. Mm. And that is no. the thing. Um, I don't care what people say. I've got my vision and I'm just gunning for it. It's like, can you imagine starting? a brand like Ferrari asking for permission to make the, one of the best sports cars ever. Who are you going to ask? Yeah. You can't. You, you understand? And that's what I mean with yeah. when you have passion, when you have a vision. And you will find out if if your vision is wrong. But you you just, it's, it's, it's really a discovery. And I sometimes think that no one has the answer. I just think you just, it's mm. like everyone's in a jungle and we're just hacking away. That's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people claim to know more, but I don't know. I always challenge. It's like, I don't care if you're an expert. Yeah. I always challenge you. And, and it's not from a, from a lofty perspective. Or it's like, I don't trust with nonsense you're talking, but it's like, just always test people's, just test their opinions, test their words. You don't have to be disrespectful. It's like, mm-hmm. you, know, you can keep it yourself. Um, I think... Yeah. The big thing today is there's a massive information overload and that makes it even mm-hmm. more difficult, you know, because it's almost like that cliche saying mm. analysis, what paralysis by analysis. It's like, mm. don't just don't overthink it. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's something, there's something interesting about specifically craft types of disciplines. Um <laughs> in the context of the, an age of information overload, because, you know, when you do things with your hands, they've got a strange way of kind of like narrowing your focus, you know, mm. like a, if you're, if you're, let's say doing something like reading or studying or like, you know, trying to do something, you know, that requires thought, it's very easy to get distracted. And, you know, you, all of the messages, social media and all of that is always kind of like chirping. I think when you're trying to solve a problem with your ha- your mind and your hands, it's mm. got a w- different way of sort of um, capturing Honing your attention. In. And I think there's something really interesting to that. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't think there's a difference. It, I think you engage physically with, mm-hmm. the, with the material, 
But I, it's mm. what I think you're trying to say is it's like getting to a state of flow or a state of deep work. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise you, my phone chirps just as loud as when I'm doing physical work as <laughs> when I'm doing editing work. <laughs> so um, it's it's more. You know, the thing is, you have to be so selfish with your time. And I'm talking about mm. um, you don't let anyone. Um, so I've got a flyer. Um, you don't mm. entertain people that are talking nonsense or just want to have a word or, you know, they've got this idea. I had this, this one thing that's been, um, Stefan, I think your mic is off. Um, so this one thing is, it's been kind of like a guiding sentence, you know, and it's funny as you go in mm-hmm. life, as you, you know, you, you hack your own way through, you actually realize how many cliches are so true. I mean, people just throw it out, yeah. but or throw it around, but you know, like time is money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. when mm-hmm. you, when you start to know yeah. the value of your time, you don't waste time, although we all still do. I mean, I think we all have the same methods. But the one mm-hmm. guiding sentence, um, mm. if, if I can impart a little bit of wisdom that I've picked up, is you've got to say no to a lot of good ideas um, to get to the great <laughs> idea. Yeah. And that, yeah. that is, <laughs> the I believe, that is, that is the <laughs> trick. It's like you've got to know where you're going. And for instance, my thing is chairs. I have this thing inside of me. I don't know why it's there, but chairs is Mm. my thing. You know, it's like, I don't know why. (laughs) Anyway, it's just, if if I walk into a restaurant, I pick up chairs. I look under the chairs. Like, how did they make this? Mm. It's just this thing with chairs, not tables (laughs) or sofas, a chair. (laughs) Yeah, well, you, you get a couple of We awkward. spend a lot of time on them. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah. So um, it's, yeah, there's, and it, it came from nowhere, you know. But anyway, mm. so when you want to be, let's, and I don't have, it's not like I want to be the greatest chair designer. It's not like that. I just want for myself, mm. I want to make the, the greatest chair that I can make, you know, regardless of what the world thinks of it. Yeah. But, if someone comes to you and proposes, you know, you've got industrial design background, uh, don't you want to design a new mouse for us or a new iPhone? You've got to say no to that. That's a thing. Unless you are in a bit of financial trouble, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. But don't lose your vision of that one thing. Yeah. And you're just gone for that one thing. If you want to become... I heard this. I heard the saying once. I think it was someone like Einstein, one of those profound people, and they just said like um, something along the lines: If you want to be great at something, you need to be able to to um, not be free from distractions. You gotta can isolate yourself. Like literally, go and just mm. wherever it is. You gotta isolate yourself. You gotta get in to the deep work, um, and that's yeah. something that I'm fighting with at the moment, yeah. like big time, big time, because of a business. Um, the business grows, and all of a sudden, you're not a 
furniture and you don't make you're not making yes, anything. Yes, you're not a craftsman you, you are, anymore. Yeah. So but yeah. now I've found um what do you call it? Um sculpture. So that's kind of my next thing and I really mm. enjoy it because there's there are no boundaries on it. But I still do appreciate the boundaries of design. You know, art becomes like you expressing whatever crazy idea you yeah. have and no one can tell you, Oh, that's wrong or no, that's uncomfortable or whatever. No, you just do it. I guess that's a that's a great pivot to the the question I have that I'm really curious to hear your answer about. As um, you know, we we spoke about ignorance is bliss, and that's kind of what helped you break into this industry. And now you've run and owned your own business for over fifteen years. And on a personal level, I'm quite curious. So. I'm sure Alfie has come across the the same quite recently, actually. Uh, I've been in my industry for almost 10 years. And there comes a point where you consider yourself an expert in your field. But like I mentioned earlier, with that expertise comes then you almost formulate expectations, not only of the craft, but also of yourself. And those expectations can be... uh, not paralyzing, but they can be a stopper of progress, if I can put it that way. And I think especially with you, because you've taken such a, or, or you've spent a long time now building a specific brand, building a specific niche, like you said, chairs, but now you've actually moved over to sculpture work. I'm curious to hear from you, have you found that you've, you felt burdened by your own expectations that you've set by this brand that you've built for 15 years and how what you expecting of yourself in this brand or how did you also get to change your mind and go into sculpture work now without feeling like yeah I, I actually don't know how to express this but I feel like it it can be a burden um, yeah Mm, our own expectations we create of our craft if you spend so much time on one thing um sure there's definitely a burden that you place on yourself because you strive for excellence um if you don't burden yourself to a certain extent but it comes down to balance once again you know you can't um what's the word in english um skip off um uh, like uh, slack or um... <laughs> no 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 it, it's like when you don't spend enough time with your family you know um, yeah. you need to neglect. balance yeah neglect you can't you should set high expectations for yourself you know it's like aim for the stars and fall on the clouds uh, that's another cliche mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you, you go high but if you need to be driven you know and and your passion mm-hmm. and all those things will drive you, but there's definitely a burden. And when the it's burden can be different things because sometimes, like in my case, I feel that there are so many avenues I can take this business into. You know, uh, mm-hmm. am I going to become the biggest chair manufacturer in South Africa? Uh, do I want to yeah. be to want to make the Ferrari of chairs? You know, want, do I want to be known as that or do I want to play both markets or do I want to become like the next valence or whatever the case may be? So those things become burdens to you. But when you have a clear 
clearer view of what it is that you want to do. You just gun for that thing, that one thing. And expecting so much from yourself, yeah, obviously that gives it's gonna burden you. But um What is this view that it's you're a, talking about? Because the, the other things you mentioned were very specific. The biggest chair yeah, manufacturer yeah. in South Africa, yeah. which is a very specific vision, right? And, and yeah, like you said, yeah. that can be a burden. But then yeah, you yeah. said if you have a clear view or vision for yourself, it's easy to kind of let go of those. But then is the the view and vision you have where you want to go quite vague to allow a little bit of flexibility in the the label you've put to yourself, like I'm a chair designer, now I'm a sculpture mm-hmm. to like kind of change yeah. and be a little bit more flexible. Um, I think as you go, you discover, I think it, it's like, it's, it's the same as seeing, let's say a building from very far, the closer mm-hmm. you get to what you think is the vision, the clearer it will become to you because you don't know yet, you know, you want to make chairs, but as you go along, because I'll explain to you, like, when I did a trade show in 2015, I was selling a chair for, like, 2,500 rand. And someone came up to me and was like, oh, that's an expensive chair. You'll never sell it. I'm like, no, you're just not my market. And then, but then you <laughs> think, then you think, oh, 2,500 rand, it's a lot of money. Even today, you know, just 2,500 rand, it's, it's a bit of money. But then you realize, listen, there are people, they spend 100 grand on a chair. <laughs> you can spend someone will drop 500,000 rand on chair more there's there's just no limit so then as you go you learn but listen here there's there's a bit more than being a chair designer now you can go into functional art where it's like design and art meets and now you don't have yes. to make like 6,000 rand production chairs I can actually uh, make a 60,000 rand chair and those things can be burdensome because where do I go now? Do I go for design and viability in my business? Because mm. you can still be creative there, but then kind of this door opens to you of the art world or the functional art. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's just no limit there. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the money flowing. I'm telling you, I'm amazed every day about the money that's out there. So the one thing is it's kind of what I find challenging is, is balancing viability versus creativity. So there's always a a payoff. You know, are you going to be more viable in business or are you going to charge? And it's design versus art in my case. And Mm -hmm. there's this famous um, Japanese-American sculpture. His name is Sam Noguchi. He passed away. And his philosophy is, and, and this is what I think one should do oh, well, and that, well, that's my opinion. It's like, uh, sorry, it's my son. Um, is whatever you do in life, try and elevate it to art. People in our society are always putting artists down. No, don't become an artist. You're not going to make mm. money. It's like to me. If you can crack being an artist, it's the it's the best, it's the most clever business to get into. It's like you, mm-hmm. your pencil and paper, or you and your piece of wood. It's the the overheads are low. I mean, from a business point of perspective, the overheads are low. Everything everything is. Low. It's just you and the craft. I mean, there's no yeah. um, 
uh, what do you call it, um, labor issues, whatever. I mean, you are the labor issue. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing is, and that comes back to this whole thing of fear. Society will always project their fears onto you. But I think deep down, <laughs> a lot of people would like to be an artist. It's it's just, yeah. it's yeah. almost the highest, yeah. it's the highest form of making. Mm. And you know, when mm-hmm. this is Italian composer, Ludovico Arnaudi. And I, I listen to him a lot when I design. You know, it's just, it's just he's on another level. And I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. you know, when you are a classic, you know, he's a, he's a contemporary classic um, artist. So when he writes his music, whatever, he's not sitting there oh, thinking, oh, this is a funky beat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this one a little bit cheaper, more acceptable, and then I can sell more. No, he's going for the best thing he could possibly make. And that's how you should strive. You, you understand? Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, and it, it just dawned on, on to me one day. So I always have this thing is when you make a chair, it's the, the way if Ludovico Arnaudi should make a chair, this is what the chair should look mm-hmm. like. It should be, if you guys understand what I'm saying, it's like, it, yeah. But 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 it's important. Viability in business is very important. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate enough that I found design before art, because a lot of time artists can't make it because of money. If you don't make money, you're not viable. You're not going to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I'm curious that you that you specifically elaborate on what you just said and how how you've experienced it and how you constantly finding that balance between viability and creativity, because that's quite yeah. interesting. And like you said, um, your, the vision becomes clearer, the closer you come to the building, which also means this balance might uh, start to change a little bit, the viability and creativity scales. So it would be, it would be nice to hear how have you battled with that in the past and where are you kind of sitting right now with that? Mm, mm. Um, I think it will be a constant uh, battle mm-hmm. um, because it's it's who's in your head? You know, is it is it the the designer today or is it the artist today? And who's going to win the fight? Um, mm-hmm. For the so, for the people listening that don't necessarily yeah. get what you're saying, uh, like when you say, is it the designer in your head or the artist? For some people, that's the yeah, kind yeah. of a creative okay. In bubble. Okay, so so it's it's uh, okay. I, so in my world, design means more viability. Um, more but function. Then within the, yeah, but within but within that world, there's also the fight between business then and designer. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you understand? So so it, design, I see it as a as a it's an expression of of creativity. But there's also a sense of viability. But when you go into art, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's viable. Oh no, it's not. It's not. It doesn't matter. But the, I've I've it seen it also with other art. artists. Yes, but but when you become an artist today, I believe you should be a bit business orientated as well. Mm-hmm. Being business orientated never hurts, but it shouldn't dictate. That's that's in art. Mm-hmm. I would say. But with design, there's more of an interplay. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's the form would, follow function um, idea, right? It's um, function well, form, follows form more. 
in design well, and yeah it's it's a uh, yo i can just I've, i have too many words rushing so it depends on how functional you want to go because some people that mm. design too functional and then it looks ugly because now it's very production friendly but it's easy to copy so what mm. i try and do is is find that happy medium between production friendly which means viability mm-hmm. and then obviously you can keep the price down and it's more accessible to the market but then you need to add enough spice to set you apart i cannot mm-hmm. stress it enough do not copy you know sometimes we are inspired sometimes we are a bit too inspired and we make something that's similar and it's diff- it's extremely difficult with chairs but you yeah. um if you want to copy copy it for yourself in your garage or your workshop and understand that thing that you just made mm-hmm. but don't go and try and make money off it you know um mm-hmm. but i would say if you want to be if you want to be viable you know big thing is is being yourself the people don't need another hans wagner like hans wagner is one of the most famous chair designers or fin jul um mm-hmm. you must find your voice it's essential it's yeah. like that's the one thing and and the thing is you know people always go well that guy or that woman is doing this uh, i think i'm going to do something similar because then it's going to work that's exactly where you make your mistake you shouldn't do that yeah. you should really find your thing you know it's like yeah. picasso is not known because he looks a little bit like the next abstract artist you know picasso mm. picasso because he's picasso he is yeah it's and i've i've seen that more and more and i think that's why i'm mm. drawn drawn to to art uh, it's like mm-hmm. you can be so expressive um, yeah i've i've um, made so yeah no definitely and i i i especially appreciate the the fact that you highlighted that difference between um design and the artistic side of things and how how they kind of interplay with each other but one of the things that i would like to do um and i try to do this especially with with um the guests that we have that that create things um is i'd like you if if you if you don't mind and if you can um is there any um product that you guys make that either is is out right now or has like a um access online that you're specifically passionate about either a chair that you designed that that you know maybe you took a big risk maybe it was a significant you know achievement for your business but just one that you could talk to a little bit about either about the idea and how it came to be or or how it was the received process. in the market or something of that kind yeah just something something about one of your works um you know, each piece kind of has a story and a little bit of a history to it and um you you can never know how the market takes it like i've had let me just think so okay so i have this um this it, it's so funny the ones that designs you overthink or spend so much time on time on they sell them on the one you know uh the I have sometimes you walk with a design in your head and just it just pops out you know on a mm. piece of paper mm. and you just rush over and you make it and the next thing people are just placing orders so 
and I find that with different different pieces. Um, like there's been a chair that has carried my business for like two years, and then all of a sudden it just drops off, and then the next thing rises, the, the next specific design. Mm. But what I what I try to do is every time I design something, let's say a chair, I always try improve improve on the next one. So every every chair has an idea. It's like, no, I'm going to make this one more business orientated. It's still beautiful, um, but it's more business orientated. You like your bread and butter products. But mm-hmm. as you as you go, um, you. You're constantly improving, so it's 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 a difficult. I understand what you ask you. It's it's a difficult one, and uh, you know, in lockdown, I designed a, uh, a table, and uh, we started lockdown by losing a three million rand contract. I mean, I, I thought, I mean, it was the biggest contract that we would have ever received. I mean, like three million was a lot. It was two lodges in Namibia, and I was like, you know, doing my little proper happy dance and. Um, yeah, and then literally we, I did all the design work, everything. And uh, they would, I think it was the week they were supposed to pay the deposit. And then this whole thing with COVID hit and then everything just got pulled back. And I thought, oh my word, sure. is this the start of COVID? And um, then all of a sudden we get an inquiry and, you know, I just designed this table. Um, it's on my website. It's called the split table. And mm-hmm. I just... I just, I just designed it. I don't know how to say it. It just, you know, it's like sometimes, but I think this is where experience comes in. You just explode onto the page. You know, it's like, it's, it's, you don't overthink it. You just kind of do it. Mm. You know, It just flows out of you. And that is the top seller. There's, there's not a table that we produce more than that table. And um, sometimes it's funny because like this table, what happened was I was I couldn't take a photograph of it in my showroom because my showroom was too small. When I take, it's weird. The scale was off, so if I take a photograph, it looks like a side table. So I phoned up Lionel Smith. He's like a famous um, sculptor, and uh, let's say, hey man, listen, I need. Uh, I know you've got a nice showroom, and uh, can I come and take some photos of my furniture? It's like, yeah, sure. No <laughs> you problem. just phoned Lionel Smith. Yeah, why not? Oh, that sounds like just a bizarre line. Um, Alfie, oh, for you who, who don't know, who doesn't know Cape Town too well, it's like a very famous sculptor. His work is all over mm. wine farms and hotels. <laughs> wow, so, that's amazing. So, and uh, man, this guy is like the salt of the earth. You know, it's like mm. you rock up there, makes you a coffee, have a chat, you know, set up. <laughs> Movies, paintings, you know, kind of take over the showroom there. And he's all cool with it, you know. But I think it was just his personality, you know. It's like sometimes you would find an artist and that would not be the outcome. Yeah. But anyway, um, so um, his, his, his painting was at the back of this, fo- of this um, photograph I took off my table. And it was just, it's kind of the first, when you open up the site, it just, that's the... the, the um, yeah, it's not that photo though, but it's it was the shoot. There's actually a golden, um, it's like a golden portrait behind it. And no go, one more. No. It actually exposes the underside. There, that one. That is the money shot. I'm telling you, that thing, mm. that that photograph is just yeah. yeah. 
because um, that's where you see wow. right the actual the actual craft that's when mm. you actually people who buy this care what's underneath the table where you never look yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 is, yeah 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 it's like the so, i love buying shoes the sole of the foot is a yeah, very yeah, yeah. pretty part this the part i just step on <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it's it, it's it's um there's this thing where design even or make things where people don't see it generally yeah like the underside yeah. of the table but when they do look there and they see it it's like yeah. oh my word look at this yeah, yeah. you know because yeah. then they really respect the craftsmanship yes i love even that, more yeah. you know it's like when you open up you know an apple product you know even though we know what's coming, we still love the packaging. And although it's so bloody environmentally unfriendly and you know, it's like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, we are simple creatures. We are tactile creatures. Um, yeah. Mm. But, you know, a, a mistake I've been making for years is like thinking that people don't notice. The people who care do notice. Mm. notice. It's like, mm. am I going to put that edge on? Because I could have made this table without the chamfer. That's the... Uh, on the mm. on the top part, there's the chamfer that goes in 120 volts. Um, it's like, do right. I need to put it in there? You know, I, I, it would spend, mm. I would save so much production time, but I'm not putting that thing in there. But if you take too much detail away, then what does it become? It just becomes like the mm. next table. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, I don't know. I'm talking. This is really. Like, and I can see what yeah. you mean when you, when you when you say like balancing balancing production and balancing art yeah. because I think that that decision yeah. really exemplifies that you know you 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 give a yeah. little bit on the production side um, to gain you know significantly on the on the um, yeah. aesthetic side and like one yeah. one of the things that really stands out to me about this piece is how like how round the corners are like there there are mm. there aren't really any jagged edges. It sort of just feels like everything's flowing together. Yeah. Very organic. Very, very and beautiful it, piece. It, yeah. it, it adds a lot to the price. I can tell you the sanding time doubles. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> I, I can I just, imagine. <laughs> I just, I just, um, but you know, it's, it's, and, and that's the one thing, um, what I find when I speak to people, they always say the same things when they get there. You know, it's sculptural, it's soft, and it's organic. Yes. And yeah. and then that's how you 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 hit your market because there are people. You know, you can go into like something that's for straight angles and everything. You will find your market in that. But be, be known for the sculptural furniture guy or the straight mm-hmm. edge furniture guy. Um, yeah. There's one thing I want, that came to mind that I actually want to. Yeah. This is the thing is as you go in your career as a designer or creative whatever it's that you're doing the the business side when you start off there's a bit more to the business side than to the design side i I feel um Mm -hmm. but as you progress the aim in my opinion should be you must move more completely over over to to the the design side because then you establish, and that's how you start pulling away from the pack because some people even now they're still they're just on the money on the money on the money and this is where a big thing of my company comes in. I try to push the brand more to be, to make more expensive furniture, not for the sake of um, making more profit, because necessarily making more expensive doesn't mean necessarily more profit. But 
it does set you apart and then you can start asking a price because you're known as a craftsman. You're known as a designer. You're not known mm-hmm. as a businessman because if you're a businessman, you just, yeah. you become medio- um, the, in, in the line of creativity, you become mediocre. You just, you know, you just serve the mass market. But when you, yeah. when you make stuff that's different, it's like, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Seth Godin. Yeah. Like yes, yes, yeah. I actually went yeah. to Varsity with him. Seth oh, Godin. No, 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 no. Seth, Seth Godin, the author, you, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Mark, like a marketing guru. It's like you're, you use a yes, lot of oil yes. of the lay. <laughs> anyway, so Seth Godin has this book called Purple Car, and mm-hmm. it's a very mm-hmm. basic concept. Do you know it, Alfie? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should strive for to be a purple car. It's like so just so people know, it's like Seth was driving with mm. his family, I think it's in Switzerland or something. And it's like uh, you know, your normal dairy black and white car next to the road. But there are like thousands of, of them. And because they're from America, they're not used to so many cars. You know, you it's the mountains and the grassy hills mm-hmm. and you know, and you pull out your camera and it's like, Oh, it's so beautiful, and you make a video and whatnot. But then after ten minutes you get pretty boring. You don't see the black and white cars anymore because mm-hmm. just, you know it's just the same but he says mm-hmm. if you continue to drive and all of a sudden among the masses of cars you see a purple car you will pull a handbrake turn you will stop get out of the car take photos <laughs> videos share i'm telling you that is the one thing that you must keep in your mind just mh- yeah. move closer and closer to becoming the purple car yeah, it's, it's actually that simple. Going back to the the table we were speaking mm-hmm. about as well, you know that you were saying the the rounded corners it it adds a lot to the price, but obviously a lot to the time, the manufacturing mm-hmm. time as well. And I think especially in a society where time is such a valuable currency at the moment, people are more willing to pay when they know time was yeah. taken to create something. And I think yeah. that's also when it starts to pivot into a space that, where it becomes more art than function. Yes. Because if you think about what people will pay for a, a frame, a piece of art goes in, that's a very functional thing versus what people are willing to pay for a piece of art is it's a lot mm. different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They- that's the beautiful thing about art. There's just no perception. Oh, there's not no yeah. perception. It's it's like someone would say, oh, that's, I would never spend more than 10 rand. The next guy would walk in and yes. sell his children oh. just to buy that piece of art. Yeah. It's, just, it's because it's how it touches you. Yeah. Yes. And the, the big thing to bear in mind is you can't make something cheap look valuable. Yeah, it, it's it's you can't. It's it's it like work. you can't produce a cheap. I'm constantly using Ferrari, but you can't make Ferrari from cheap stuff. You know, yeah. you're you're especially today. People are very clever. You know, the the, the entire internet is open in front of them. Um, but it's also about integrity, and I and I do mm-hmm. think that integrity in what you're doing. People see it. Somehow we detect integrity in business, honesty, and mm-hmm. and even craftsmanship. Um, if you can show it, sometimes like, uh, am I going to add this detail? Because if I'm adding this detail, it's going to make the price a quarter more, whatever. 
it's you should do it. That's my opinion. You should do it. Depending mm-hmm. on where you're aiming mm-hmm. towards, you know, where, where, I mean, if you want to make it cheap and cheerful, obviously you're not going to add mm-hmm. to the price. But it's like not being afraid. It's, it's so funny. I haven't even tried to push my art, uh, the sculpture mm-hmm. work, but I have probably made more out of art this year than I've made out of furniture. Wow. It's yeah. just, the, the, it's because it's, it's, how can I say it? It's, People are just drawn to it. The, I, yes. I almost want to say the money will come by itself. It's just, I don't mm-hmm. know, I've just seen it happen over and over. And the more you go down this road, the more confident you become in your ideas. Mm-hmm. And you just execute. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And- well, I can definitely, I can definitely understand why it's uh, the sculpture work is selling um, or at least attracting people because I mean, when I saw it the first time, I was pretty obsessed with it. I actually want to, for the people who are are watching the actual video of the podcast, if you're not, you can go find Lowe's um, page on Instagram under Low Roots. And then you'll see some photos of these beautiful sculptures that's obviously made out of wood as well. But it's, oh, it's, it's, it's so sensual as well, which... I find so beautiful mm. and, and it's exactly what you said, Lo. You can when looking at this, you immediately you you go, that took a lot of time, that took a lot of focus. Yeah. That was exceptionally intentionally made. That is not something that just quickly puts stuff together. I mean, mm-hmm. one slip of hand can make can make it break, can make it not come out the way you envision because it's also such an organic form that you're reproducing out of um, a very, well, kind of semi-hard substance. But, but yeah, it's so beautiful. I must say wood is very forgiving. You, know, you can always sand it away. <laughs> I wouldn't and, that's say so, but... <laughs> and I would say the nice thing about art is like, oh, I just meant to make it like that. You know, it's like, there's no mm-hmm. prescribed idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and um, it's, it's, you almost see people treat you different when they see you mm-hmm. as an artist. It's so weird. They, they, they treat you different when you're an artist. Like um, I've had clients who say, no, 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 take your time. You know, you can't rush art. I'm like, yeah, you can't rush art. You can't rush art. <laughs> it's like, you Very just play interesting it. observation. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. they put you in a higher category. Really, they do. And it's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, I think I think it is it is deserved though because when when you're doing yeah. art, you're taking a risk yeah. that you're not taking when you're just doing business. Because yeah. when you're just doing business, in a sense, like what you need to ensure is that it's it's functionally it's serving its purpose, and it's not yeah. displeasing to the eye. You know, really, everywhere else, people will be pretty forgiving, but that's a terrible bar for any kind of art. Like, you know, it has to be more than simply not displeasing. It really needs to grab your focus and, 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 and in some way represent beauty in, in that specific instance, um, um, or, or or form that it's being represented in. And I think Mm. that requires as the craftsperson or the artist, it requires you to ask more of yourself. And I think that's why people are a little bit more forgiving, um, when it comes to art. Sure. I think it's also because they, they can understand when you look at a chair, you know, they can kind of figure it out. It makes sense, you know, 
how it's put together. Mm-hmm. You can see the front leg. You can see how it ties into the rail, to the backrest. But with this uh, sculpture, um, you can't. But here's mm-hmm. the funny thing, what I've found over the years. The ability to make a piece of sculpture, you use the same ability to make a chair. It's just, are you going to decide to make a chair? Are you going to decide to make art? It's like I can take a welder um, that's been trained to make structures and, you know, bookshelves or whatever, and I can Mm -hmm. turn him into an artist. It's just how you Mm -hmm. see. And this is the big thing that I've noticed when I was studying industrial design. Now they give you a lot of information and process and stuff. But the main thing is how you perceive things around you. It's like... Other people just see um, a chair and business. I can see it as a medium for art or expressing myself. It's just how you see it. And mm-hmm. um, mm. it's like when I, try, when I train my artisans to, to make a chair, I use those same artisans to help me out in my art project. There's no difference. It's just uh, I don't have the fear of failing. And people... Mm. Yeah, they, they're too scared. That's why they don't take a chance. Just take a chance. Yeah. You're going to be wrong. You're going to do mm-hmm. it again. You're going to be less wrong. And you do it five, ten times, then you're going to know what you're doing. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's really as simple as that. There's, sorry, there's this um, also this little saying, things that always pop into my mind. It's like, it's like this. When you're standing on a cliff and you want to jump off, and then someone says, yeah, but what if you fall? But the other mind says, but what if you fly? And is which one bring which one dominates in fear? I mean, I think the idea mm. of flying and jumping off for me outweighs them falling. Yeah, it's a, if you guys understand, it's a, it's a very simple thing. Yeah. It's like, just just think you're gonna fly. At least just flap, you know. But <laughs> uh, it's just you know. It's a mindset. It's also a mindset yeah. practice. Yeah. Uh, people mm. talk a lot. Um, the people that do, it's really, it's, it's just do it. Just, just can go out and do your thing. You know, um, people talk mm. too much, yeah. really. I've seen it so much. They like, generally, like over the years, you've spotted when they come with, you know, the, you know, when I look at this piece and the negative space is juxtaposed against this and, the, you know, they come, it's like, I look at your portfolio, it's like, yeah, I can, I can see why you're talking so much nonsense because you're going to make it for it in some <laughs> other way. You know, it was like when we were in Cape Town, you know, they, they were walking yeah. around, um, were displaying their Apple MacBook and they used to get um, piercings or just be weird. And it's generally those people are not the creative ones. It's the one that you see in tackies and sweatshirts or job. Those are mm. the ones that they just do. Because they, they can't, I don't have time to picking, care about piercings. Okay, I had piercing when I was younger. But, you know, when I got into the class, it's like they, you're trying to make up for something, you know. Mm. It's like, I'm not saying when you have piercings and tattoos and, you know, you, you dress funny, you can't be creative. But I'm just saying no. it's, a, it's, a, it's for me sometimes like, I don't know. I think that's also actually quite good advice for young creatives 
because I think being creative, you also have some form of identity attached to your craft. And I think a lot of the time when you're young, that can then be exercised in the things you're mentioning, which is maybe trying to dress different um, to kind of express that and also exercise this need that you have, this attachment to your identity and your craft. And that's actually really nice advice for for young creatives is to try not to get distracted around how you are exercising it within your own identity, but rather use that energy to exercise it in your craft. Exactly. It's like, show me your portfolio. That's why it's like some, like when I interview people, I don't even look at their qualifications. I just show me your portfolio. Mm. I don't care. I don't care if you have a chain of earrings hanging. It's like, just show me your portfolio. It will speak. And that's the thing is let your work speak, not your arts. Yeah. If you want to dress weird, dress weird. I don't care. Just don't let that be your thing. Because it's a major da- a let down when you see this portfolio and you see the person's like, you, you look better than portfolio. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, it's just knowing yourself, you know. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. just, just. And I always find that people um, always asking for permission, you know permission to be better, permission to strive for something higher than where they are now or um, listening to the experts. And, you know, some experts are just self-proclaimed experts. I mean, if you just tell everyone you're an expert, people start believing you. And that's why I always say just um, in a very respectful way, always challenge status quo. Never settle. It's like, because if you if you don't do it, how can you possibly become the best? You know, it's like Formula One. I don't follow the standings or whatnot, but Formula One, those people don't care about how much money it's going to cost to make the car. But, you know, they're just trying to produce the best bloody car they could possibly manufacture, you know, or, or create for, mm-hmm. for the race. Um, and that's the yeah. way you should be. You should very... It's, um, you know, it's like... Um, this couture um, fashion, you know, fashion design there, mm. these weird stuff. And if you yes. look at those houses, I saw this, um, what's this, it was this movie. It's, it's like just captivates me. And I think that's the big thing that caps, captivates people about craft is when someone just goes for it. You know, you just see yes. yeah. fashion written <laughs> all over that. it. And it's yeah. like, and it's just, you just, Go for it. Mm. Like if you want to use 20 karat gold thread, he's doing it, you know, diamond buttons or, you know, just because people are afraid to use diamond buttons because it's expensive. Yeah, but put them on and see who's going to buy them. You'll see the shakes appearing, you know. It's just like like that. If you're going to make mediocre products, mediocre people is going to show up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, Lo, we're almost uh, at the end of this episode. Um, but I do, lastly, want to ask you, now that you are going into a little bit more of the artistic space and dabbling in sculpture work, 
Can you maybe share a little bit with us? I don't know if it is a secret or you also still in the process of figuring it out for yourself, but what is kind of next for your brand that you are focusing on? Um, that, you know, I just want to come back. Oh, I'm going to ask you this way. So mm-hmm. early on, you, you referred to yourself as an expert. Um, and I'm not saying that you're not, but I think one should never assume that you're an expert because it's almost like I've arrived. Mm-hmm. Just always mm-hmm. be a student. You know, and, and I, you know, mm-hmm. you can with with enough experience. Listen, I have expertise, and I'm ex- expert. In, but and but it's always to be hungry to learn, and and never to think mm-hmm. of yourself as as an expert, and because it's it yeah. makes you stop learning. Yeah, but a beginner's fig- mind. Yeah, so it's almost like you could never figure it out. You can just come closer to what you want to be, but then you must find peace. In that, and I think it's when you look back at the work that you've created, you find peace, and that you've listening for this chair. I've tried my best, and then you look at the next chair. I've even done better, and then you, you just grow, and that's kind of how you figure it out. But regarding the brand, it's I'm just always trying to aim higher and make it more yeah. sof- sophisticated for my brand. Like so, some brands are very. Sophisticated bad, but they have a massive humor side. But, you know, like um, like Kalula, uh, the, the airline, mm. or, or uh, what's it, other brand, uh, Web Africa. You know, they they bring humor into the business, but that's how they want to do it. For me, I want to mm. be more. Maybe they want to be more funnier, but for me, I want to be a more sophisticated brand. It's like, how can I set myself mm. even further apart? How can I make even more chairs that expresses value. Can I make a 20,000 rand chair? Can I make a 50,000 rand chair? Instead of just focusing too much on production. So that's why I want to focus more on establishing the exclusivity of the brand. Mm. But it's not in a... Like value. A pop, yeah, yeah. It's more dedicated to craft. Um, and with, with, with art, it's... Yeah, I don't think you could ever figure it out. It's just about enjoying it. It's just, just it's really just about enjoying it. So, and yeah. you get to points like, don't think too much. You know, just, just do. Thinking too much really, yes, it's, it's it uh, kills you. Don't think too much. <laughs> just, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just don't think, think too much. Think ourselves to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it's like now, like we. Because unexpected things happen. Like I'll just quickly share this with you guys. So last year we had one of the best years, but also one of the craziest years. Like there's mm-hmm. a company, they still owe me like 600, between 600 and 800,000 rand. Custom products have been made for them. We entire, designed everything and they were messing us this way and that way. And um, I still have the money and I still have the product and I can still sell it off. So it's not the major loss, but we've put in the time so we can get the money back. But um, it's things like that when you, you you can overthink it. You can have your five year plan. You can have your business plan. You can't plan for something like that. It just it just clubs you. Mm. And just before mm. that, I moved my showroom. I separated my factory and my showroom from one another. And uh, we bought a house and we renovated that. And uh, at the end of the year, both my top managers um, they um, dunk. What is that? Um, 
Resigned. Resigned. They resigned. So there's like there's no management level. I mean, sitting with all of this money that's owed to you, sure. you're sitting with a separate factory and um, and, and showroom. Wow. You're, you're in the process of renovating your house. And that's why I say don't plan too much. I've never ever had a business plan for this this business of mine. I've never had a marketing plan or a strategy or a five year plan. Nothing. You just you just become more clever the more you do and you see. Listen, I read a lot and I study my competitors and what they do. But um, it just changes so quick. There's just, you mm. can't plan for it. You can't think. And that's the thing is like, if you think, 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 what do you have to show for it? But if I've done three things or five iterations, at least I can show you I failed five times, but I've learned something. But thinking, mm-hmm. thinking. <laughs> That's a nice way to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's been, it's really been a pleasure chatting to you. And I think um, like our audience, it's good to hear from somebody who is in the des- like a design or artistic space where you're creating things with your hands um, well, and tools. Um, so thank you. Firstly, thank you very much for, for making no, the time to, to, to come and chat with us. Absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Mm. <laughs> and, actually, no. no, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. But, yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and maybe for, for, for those um, listening, if people are interested in finding some of your furniture or following the work that you do, where, where, where would you recommend that they sort of go looking? Uh, so we have a showroom in uh, Strand. Um, it's, yeah, if you go on Google Maps, you just type in Lourdes, you'll find it there. Or you can just visit us at Lourdes.co.za. Or Instagram. Uh, Instagram is quite cool because it's very, it's not as static as the website. It's ever changing. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Amazing. Cool. And to everybody listening, thank you very much for this hour. Have a wonderful day. And that is all from us. Thanks, guys. 